I have been accused of being an angel, and I imagine the way I show up doing things that no person could do, I must appear to be from somewhere else. It is angel work. It is God's miracle, not mine. This podcast gets into real-life experiences of miracles and hearing God's voice. My name is Lee Greer, author and illustrator of When Miracles Are Needed, which is a Christian fiction novel. The book serves as an outline of the topics we cover. Today's podcast is a review of Chapter 1 of When Miracles Are Needed, a novel written and illustrated by Lee Greer, which is me. The numbers of each podcast correspond to the chapters in the book. The first two digits are the chapter. There are 49 chapters, and the last digit, or two digits, are the number of the podcast episode that goes with that chapter. I'm going to read a little bit of the first section of the book, and then we'll discuss it. He was praying with his eyes open while he stood in the hall, listening to the Spirit of God speaking to him. God liked the boy's companionship, and he shared his thoughts with the boy. God showed him the past, the present, and the future, and the boy knew them as if they were memories of things he had experienced. But just as with memories, some parts were easy to remember while other parts could not be remembered. God trusted the boy with that kind of knowledge because he knew the boy was humble and innocent and would not do anything without God telling him what to do. Okay, that's the basis for our discussion today. First, I have to pray because without prayer, I really don't have any wisdom. I don't have much to say on my own. But God will guide my thoughts, so that's a lot of what the book is about, so I'll pray. Lord, guide my words and control my thoughts. Aim these words and these stories at those who are listening that that you know because you know what they need. I have no idea if anyone is listening. I feel discouraged that any results of this assignment you have given me are slow in coming. I have no idea how this will turn out. The first chapter of the book and much of the book is about obedience without having to know why and not receiving much of a reward in this world. I do this thing you've given me because, as like Peter said, we don't have anywhere else to go. You made it possible for me to be full-time in ministry for you, no matter how hard and no matter what it is like. This is what you've given me to do, come into a world that doesn't really care and will eventually not want us and will reject us. So I continue to serve you in the way you served us, in spite of how you were treated. But thank you, Jesus, that you set the model for all of us. Okay. That reminds me of a video that I put on the playlist for When Miracles Are Needed, which is on YouTube. There's a playlist there for the chapters of the book and all the videos that are related to the book. and. The other one is just for similar videos that you might like. One video is more inspiring to me than the others. That one video is more inspiring to me than those of the name brand pastors that preach all the time, like David Jeremiah, Tony Evans, Jimmy Evans, and some of those that are all over the internet and on the radio. This video is about a street preacher, and the title of the video said, You Won't Believe How This Turned Out. He was preaching on the street, and it looked like he was somewhere in England. He wasn't getting a very good reception, kind of like I would expect if I tried that. I've had better results in other countries because you get attention if you're an American preaching in another country. People will stop and listen. A crowd may form, and one time when I asked if anyone wanted prayer that I would pray for them, they formed a line, and I could not get to them all. 
I expected one or two, if any, to stay for prayer, but there were so many that many of them had to leave because it took so long. I wasn't good at handling it, but God is patient with me. But still, I regret that those people that wanted prayer didn't receive anything. So now I try to do better. I don't publicly offer to pray for individuals in a crowd of people, but I do tell them how God will hear them and how He waits for anyone to call to Him. No matter what they think of God or Jesus, God will do amazing things in their lives if they will ask Him to, and if they will give Him time to lift them above their own understanding and into the truth. I tell them I am no one special and God can do greater things through them than He has done through me. My stories only serve to encourage them of some of what can be real in their lives, that they will forget religion and let God speak for Himself. They can ask God to speak to them in the privacy of their own home and no one has to know. But if you try to preach that bluntly here, you feel like people want you to sit down and shut up. The street preacher in the video was getting a lot of that, but the way it turned out was an example of continuing on in faith in spite of how pointless it looks in this world and not knowing how it is going to turn out. That is what I remind myself about this podcast and the novel that God had me write and the 50 illustrated videos on YouTube and the 50 chapter illustrations for the book. It would be easier to do those things if I already had the encouragement of a following, but I have no following at all. A few close friends who have seen it and know what I talk about is real are the only ones following at this time. Other than the editor, none of them have read the entire book, and no one that I know of has watched all the videos. At this time, the podcast has no following, and maybe 10 listeners who may not have listened to all of any one of them. So I can relate to the street preacher. The Bible says the body has many parts. I think God has as many parts as there are different people. They may look like dressed-up church people, but that is not what they are meant to be. Church is a place to come together to prepare to go out. When they go out, they do different things in the world, things we can't understand because God is too deep for us to understand. But God does not waste any of this. So I will do what God gave me to do, which is the book, the podcast, and to tell any God gives me that will listen. Back to the book and the part I read about God speaking to the small boy. The small boy does not have to know God's plans to obey God's commands. I like the way that sounds, so I'll say it again. We don't have to know God's plans to obey God's commands. When you obey what God has given you, sometimes it doesn't seem to turn out, and sometimes you have good results. But you have to do it and see how it turns out. God is merciful with the small boy because the boy started so young with God. God can train him in slow, tender ways, but... God will have to slap the reverend around a little bit to straighten him out. The small boy does not question God, he just obeys. He does not have much to lose, and later we will see that he is not treated with respect. In a way, that strengthens him, because the only one who really respects him is the Spirit of God, and that keeps him close to his closest friend, who is God. This part of the book talks about knowing. There is a lot more depth of teaching than might seem obvious. The first chapter gives an account of what happened with the reverend and the small boy, and it seems possible that God could do that. The reverend lets the boy speak. Big deal. Not much of a miracle. But when we obey God, there is more to it than we can understand. God can do anything He wants, but for some reason, He quite often uses ordinary people to do His extraordinary work. 
The small boy is incredibly powerful because he obeys without question. That is something adults have a hard time doing. They think too much when God needs someone who will completely obey. God made us to think, but the small boy had come to a level of maturity that made replacing God's thoughts with his own thoughts unnatural and uncomfortable to him for him to think on his own. God knew he could trust a small boy than an adult who thought they had all the answers. The small boy is so mature in the Lord that he seems wrong to those that are not that way. I can say from experience that that is not an exaggeration. The Bible says Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him until later. They mocked him and said, If you want to be recognized as a prophet, go to the festival and make yourself known. Later his family came to take charge of him, thinking he was out of his mind. You may think that only happens to Jesus, but it happens to those who God uses in the same way. The book was written from listening prayer. Listening prayer is what God taught me. Asking prayer is mostly what is familiar, but I try to spend most of my time in listening prayer, letting God teach me in words and visions. He lets me see and hear and understand. This is not just for me, but for any who would ask Him. The book said, God showed the past, the present, and the future, and the boy knew them as if they were memories of things he had experienced. That is how God shows me. It seems the more time I spend in listening prayer, the more I feel like the past, the present, and the future are the same. I sometimes get confused without knowing the difference between what has happened and what will happen because they are the same to God. All this sounds illogical because it is. You can't use logic or the ability to think about or understand the things of God. You just have to trust. You should only act on what God has told you if He tells you exactly what to do. The book said... God trusted the boy with that kind of knowledge because he knew the boy was humble and innocent and would not do anything without God telling him what to do. The world would think that God would only trust the old and the wise, but God would rather trust the humble and the obedient. Even the wisest among us might think they could understand God's will and mess it up. The small boy had not spent years cultivating his own wisdom and impressing people with it. He had spent years in knowing what God wanted. The boy was powerful because God's power was in him. I'm in almost all the characters at some point in the book, and I've been in much of what I've seen in many churches. I have probably been in hundreds of churches because I traveled in ministry with other pastors and was invited to a lot of churches because of my own ministry. In addition to that, there was a time in my life when God would tell me to visit a different church each week. I would pray the night before or that Sunday morning, and I'd be dressed up and ready to go. God would give me some clue about the church He wanted me to visit, something from my past or a church someone had mentioned, and then I had to look up and find out where it was and verify that that was what God wanted. Some of the churches were over an hour away. God would be clear, and I would know that that was where He wanted me to go. Because I knew God was sending me, I was intent on listening to Him about everything related to the church, the parking lot, the sign, the story about the church sign, whatever God wanted to tell me. Okay, I'll tell you a story about that. God wants me to tell this story because it is related to the small boy. It's basically the same story in a different format. If you ask God to speak, He may tell you things like this. I want to tell you what it is like to know things that God tells you. As I said before, when God tells you things, it's from God's world and how God sees things, which is not how we see things. 
God lives in the past, the present, and the future because He creates and rules over all of it. He made it, and He does with it what He wants. When I go on an assignment, like going to a church where God sends me, knowing is like a memory that is in fragments. We know some of it as we would know a memory, but we can't recall every single detail. But God lets us get the gist of it, the meaning of it, so that it's not completely cryptic to us. God wants us to know enough to do what God needs to be done. So when God gives a person like the small boy something to do, that is the way they know what to do. God telling me what church to go to was almost like remembering that church that I've never been to and remembering what is going to happen when I get there as if it happened before. God knows my brain power is very limited, so He gives me just enough to obey one thing at a time, kind of like you would get a dog to obey. You don't want to give a dog five commandments before he has done the first one unless you've got a highly trained dog. A lot of adults have trouble obeying a sequence of new commands. So back to the story. That Sunday, God said, I want you to go to this church. I saw a picture on the internet and asked God, and God said, that's where I want you to go. And I want you to go to Sunday school and to the church service. It always works that if God tells me to do something when advanced planning would have made it easier, the timing is still always just right. So I never rush when God has me on an assignment. That's another thing that gets on the nerves of those around me, but I have to obey God. But no one ever went with me to these churches, so that was not a problem. I found the church, and the timing was perfect as usual. God said, go in this door. God always says, don't go in that door. Go in this door. Because he has things arranged for me, such as I'm supposed to meet someone or something. When I went in the door, God said, okay, stand by this column by the stairway. It was on the edge of some steps, but was not in the main entrance. God said, stand there and face this direction and look for someone who will come and meet you. So I did that. This was not unusual to me. It has become ordinary and it is still the way I act when I want God to be involved. I say it that way because who would not want God to be involved? It is only by my neglect that He is not involved in everything. I try not to do anything casually, especially how I spend my time, because it is not really my time but time he gave me when he puts the next breath in me. So God has said, go and stand there and wait and someone will meet you. It was not long before a lady came up to me and said, are you a visitor? I said, yes, I am. And she said, would you like to visit a Sunday school class? I said, yes. I wanted to find a class, but I didn't know anything about the church or the Sunday school. She led me to the classes and told me something about each of them. And I said, that's the one. I want that one. God would tell me which one was right for whatever unknown purposes He had me there for. Sometimes you can't tell that there is any reason why He wants you to do things the way that He has you do because it seems unimportant, because it's mixed in with things that are very important, and my ability to understand does not let me tell the difference. So I only do what He tells me. So I went to that class and then to the church service. At the end of the service, they passed around visitor cards, and I filled one out, and the pastor said in the service, We have a greeting room downstairs for visitors. We'd love to meet you. It was a very large church with a well-known pastor, but it was funny that that same pastor sought me out years later. He saw that I was a little different, and he wanted to confide in me about some recent extraordinary spiritual experiences in his life that he did not want to tell in his congregation. I never try to make meetings like that happen. God has to set those things up, or it will end in disaster. 
That pastor had only seen me maybe twice in his life, but people who are led by the Spirit can spot another person that is led by the Spirit, and they know when God has reason for them to seek out that person. Years later, the pastor sought me out and told me things that he wasn't going to tell his church because he knew I was a safe person who was not part of that church. Anyway, that's another story. So after this service, I went to the visitor's section that was a room under the sanctuary. Most of the pastors and the staff were there, as well as many of the church leaders and members who came to greet, and they had some food and snacks. I knew not to seek anyone out, but just stand there and wait for God to do something. The same lady who had brought me to the Sunday school classes came over and said, Did you enjoy your Sunday school? I said, Yes, it was nice. And I said a few other things, and then God said, Tell her about your African pastor friend. I had no reason to tell her the details of a situation about a person in Africa that she could not possibly know. God tells me what story to say to people for reasons unknown to me, but I have learned that when I do that, it leads to some relevance that I could not possibly understand. So I told her I had an African pastor friend, and we pray for each other. He recently called me and asked me to pray about his medical condition. He needs $10,000 for a medical procedure that was going to be in England because they didn't have the hospital he needed in Africa. I told her I don't have that kind of money, and I don't know how he would get that kind of money, but I thought, okay, Lord, you've got to provide the money because I don't know where it's going to come from, and I don't have those kind of connections, even though he called me for help. I told this lady, I said, unless he has this procedure, he probably won't live. And I said, there's hardly any money in Africa. The average income is about a dollar a day. I didn't know if she knew anything about Africa, but still I went into great detail about the money and the situation, and she listened and looked astonished. I said, anyway, he has asked me to pray for that, and he has to travel to England. She just looked at me and didn't speak. She looked like she was surprised, but I was thinking, I must sound like a crazy person to a stranger again, going on about my friend in Africa to a stranger who did not ask me to waste her time with my stories, especially in such detail. God has me say and do things that cause people to be surprised, and I'm used to feeling like how I think I must appear to others. Then she said, Can you stay here for a minute, and I promise I'll come back. Please don't go anywhere. So I stood there and I watched her while she went over to another lady. They were talking to each other and they turned and they looked at me and pointed at me and they they were saying things in a kind of excited way. Then they both came over to me and they said, What is the name of your friend? I told them and, and they said, Yes, that's him. And they said, We're not supposed to tell anybody this, but we were responsible for money that was raised for him to have the surgery. We take care of the money. But we haven't told anyone how much was raised, but it was $10,500, $10,000 for the procedure and $500 to travel to England. They didn't ask me, how did you know? They just knew that I couldn't have known unless God told me. But I couldn't have gone to that church and found those ladies unless God had told me to do that. I did not have to tell those ladies that I was hearing God's voice. They could see the results of it. After many experiences like that, I have no doubt that God speaks, and I have no doubt that I'm no one special, and God will speak to anyone who will listen and obey. I also know that God sent me to encourage those ladies. They helped raise that money in faith that God was in this, and my part was to encourage them that only God could have sent me there to tell them about what He had accomplished through them. 
they were operating according to the Lord and they were not alone in their obedience because that money came from many who were led by the Holy Spirit. They could have encouraged each other that the money was raised, but they knew that God had encouraged them when he sent a stranger to come to their church and tell them that story that would encourage them that God saw their work and God knows and he wants to strengthen them in their faith by telling someone else who knows nothing about it. I was a part of God's work because I obeyed things that made no sense and I was willing to be embarrassed going on about a story that might have nothing to do with the person I was telling it to. My own family does not understand and they did not travel with me on assignments. It was that way with Jesus too and he still loved them, so I do too. God gives me angel work. God says go and speak these words and I know they are words from God. God says, go and see me do a miracle through you, and it is God's miracle, not mine. It is angel work, and I have been accused of being an angel because Scripture says, welcome others because you may unknowingly be entertaining angels. And I imagine the way I show up doing things that no person could do, I must appear to be from somewhere else. That story is about the paragraph I read from the first chapter of When Miracles Are Needed. When God tells people things, they can be about the past, the present, and the future, and they will be known as if they were our own memories. That kind of knowing is much like knowing a memory in that we can't remember everything fully, just as we can't fully understand the things of God until we are with Him for eternity. But God tells us enough to lead us around like you would lead an obedient dog. The dog can understand a few commands, and that's enough for the master. But just as a dog cannot understand everything about the master, I can't understand much about God, but all I need to understand is what to obey. I know God likes having me around just like a faithful dog, even though I can never comprehend what he comprehends. Chapter 1 of the book said God trusted the boy with that kind of knowledge because he knew the boy was humble and innocent and would not do anything without God telling him what to do. I remember this little phrase that God gave me. Knowing is one thing, but knowing what to do is the harder of the two. It kind of rhymes, so it's easy to remember. It is saying that you have to be careful with God's knowledge. Just because God lets you see the truth about someone or something doesn't mean He wants you to call down fire from heaven and burn it up. If you lead yourself, you can be taken over by your own evil desires or your own wisdom, which is foolishness. I like the trained dog comparison. Suppose you've got a dog and he's doing tricks that you've taught him because he has learned to obey commands. The dog is paying attention to you, then he sees a squirrel and runs off on his own to take care of the squirrel. Suppose he runs out in front of a car and goes into a neighbor's yard barking in a tree. God wants us to see squirrels and other things, but he doesn't want us to run off and take action on our own. God needs us to sit and wait like an obedient dog, no matter how long it takes for the master to give the next command. God said, go to that church and just stand there facing that way. Sometimes he says someone will come and talk to you, but sometimes he has you wait without any explanation. If you know God has specifically told you to go to a church that you know nothing about, then you know it's for God's reasons. And for me, I'm, I'm like to just stand there to wait and see what else he's going to do if I obey. That time of visiting anonymous churches was like that, and some of them were an hour away. God would tell me to go find this little church in this little town that I've never been to, 
God would speak and there would be connections waiting for me, often with the pastor. A lot of misconceptions and bad feelings that people have about church don't come from the pastor, unless the church has a pastor that they want to be like them. Sometimes the pastor is having a hard time keeping the people on track. Sometimes the church people are like sheep, constantly going the wrong way. They can tell others things that are not quite right, and you'll think that's what God is like. I remember my wife and I went to visit a church, and we thought the service was okay. After church on the way out, one of the deacons recognized us as visitors and came up and said, Well, I hope you come back tonight. And we said, We might. And he said, If you do, make sure. And uh, he was looking at my wife when he said this. The pastor don't like the little lady to wear pants. I thought, Well, thank you for telling us. What I was really saying was, thank you for not wasting our time by coming back. Churches can say all kinds of things like that. I'm not sure if the pastor had a thing for the little lady wearing pants. Maybe he did, but that deacon did, and the deacons were there to enforce the rules of that church, even if those rules had nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, what about pants and dresses in Jesus' day? I don't think there's a scripture about little ladies wearing pants. Toward the end of the chapter 1, There's a part about the deacons, the enforcers, and church discipline. At least you think the book exaggerates church rules. It does not. There is no end to church rules that are not in the Bible. If you don't do the right thing, they will let you know, and you have to sort out what is of God and what is not, and some people don't. They just keep going to that church and buy into the whole system, thinking that following those rules are what it must take to be a Christian. Those things are not what God intended and not what Jesus intended. Following religious rules is what led to child sacrifice that was common in the nations God sent the Israelites to destroy. Not to say America is exempt from God's punishment today, but if child sacrifice is the popular religion of the day, you can fall into it because everybody knows it is necessary to please whatever you think God is. And especially if you are your own God, then kill the baby and claim that a human was not murdered. God said in the Bible that it never entered his mind to do that. And there are a lot of things like that in the modern church that never entered God's mind, but they've been put in there by men, not God, but labeled as something God wants. That is why I keep saying there's a big difference between beliefs and experience and a big difference between religion and God's truth. The only way to know the difference is to actually hear God's voice for yourself, which is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. I have come to think religion is the opposite of the Holy Spirit. Being led by religion means you are going to be under the authority of someone who is telling you what God is and what God does and does not like and calling your wife the little lady. If a person is telling you what God is like, they can often go astray. We didn't get very far into the book today, but we'll stop with that one paragraph in chapter 1. There are a lot more paragraphs and sentences in that one chapter that we'll go over next time. Thank you. Bye. All 50 narrated chapter episodes are illustrated by over 200 paintings and are available now on YouTube and will soon be available in print and other media.